0: they're human. They're going to let mm-hmm. me down. And, um, and I had to walk that out differently, I think, as I progressed through the years. And honestly, who are
1: we to have these expectations of other people? I know.
0: <laughs> You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to
1: episode 149 of the Nacho Kids Podcast.
2: (laughs) I'm so proud of you.
1: Thank you. I've been working hard on that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't told you yet, but a friend of mine called me the other day and said, I listened to the beginning of your podcast and you give Lori a really hard time, but I am glad to hear That she can say podcast better now.
1: (laughs) Well, just for your friend, podcast. (laughs) All right. So what we got going
2: on, David? What we got going on? I don't know. I'm following your lead. I'm sure we're giving away something. Yeah. And I'm sure we are talking about something
1: spectacular. Of course.
2: And interviewing someone amazing. Of course. Well, there you go.
1: All right, so that's it, folks. <laughs> the winner of this week's Nacho Kids Academy scholarship, courtesy of Linda Dunham, is drum roll, please. Da 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 da. Melissa M. <laughs> Congratulations, Melissa M. Check your email and respond to us, and we will get you started. Yeah.
2: Well, if you really want to get creepy, check your door.
1: David. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with him. Check outside
2: on the porch.
1: Okay. (laughs) Also, the end of this month, we are going to be in Fort Worth, Texas with Laura Pet the Bridge at the Step Couples event. Very excited. Mm -hmm. David, you don't sound excited.
2: I am thrilled to death.
1: Yeah, it's going to be more fun than that. I can promise.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I've already been told I have
2: to... Stay calm and not be myself.
1: <laughs> That's not what you were told. You were told to That's what behave. I heard. That's what I heard. <laughs> well, I think the person that told you that knows that you can't behave. So. Yeah. It's just wishful thinking at this point. It's not that I can't. It's that I often choose not to. hmm <laughs> All right. Let's talk about our guest today. All right. Our guest today is also going to be with us in Fort Worth, Texas with Laura Petherbridge. No kidding. Yeah. Our guest today is Summer Butler. Woo, Summer. Oh, yeah. I know her. You don't know her. I don't know her, know her, but I know her. You know, of her, kind of, know her. You met Um, her on
2: Zoom. That's that's how you know people these days.
1: (laughs) That is true. All right, she has been blending for eleven years, has stepson nine, stepson seventeen, and our son eight. Man. I know aren't you what glad you're we, thinking. Aren't you glad we
2: didn't have an hours kid? Yeah, because my baby didn't want us to have one. Oh. Yeah. But then again, if we would have had an hours kid, you
1: wouldn't have drugged these puppies up here. That's right. Yeah. But. So now we have three hours kids. Our yeah, doctors. But can, yeah, but I can throw them out in the yard. You threw your kids out in the yard, David.
2: That's true. I did do that. I mean, uh, isn't that what everybody did, at least back in the day? I remember that's what my parents did. Like, get out in the yard and play. Well, now that's abuse. Don't come back until dark. Well, dinner time is what they would say. Don't come back till dinner time. Yeah,
1: now that's poor parenting. Is it? Oh, it worked pretty well for me. Yeah, I know. Same here.
2: Shoot, I'd come back home. Sometimes my parents wouldn't even be, be there. They had to run errands. They'd just take off and leave. <laughs> no, no, nothing. No, nah, he's like, oh well, I guess they're gone. I mean, mm-hmm. what? Like you could call them, couldn't text them, couldn't live three sixty them. Nope, couldn't do anything. Didn't even have pagers. Mm-hmm. Some of these people are like
1: pager. What's a pager? Oh Lord, <laughs> beepers. They had no beepers. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those things. <laughs> the hardest part of Summers' blend has been their marriage and their personal baggage. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people realize how much of that they
2: carry around, and they dump it all over the next person in line. (laughs) Something
1: unique is the children were very receptive to a relationship with her, and they blended very, very quickly. Wow. They've actually never had any child-related parenting issues. Hmm. Let me guess. Summer blames it
2: all on her husband.
1: Uh, And the bio (laughs) mom.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well... I forgot about the bio mom issues. Yeah. They always come out of the blue and cause problems.
1: Well, Summer realizes after doing some self-reflection that it wasn't all everybody else's fault. Mm. So we're proud of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a
2: hard thing to self-reflect on and find out that, you know, it's not always as it seems.
1: Yep. She also grew up in a blend. She's the oldest of four, and she wrote a book. It's called Blended, Aligning the Hierarchy, and it can be found at summerbutler.com. Cool. I wrote a book,
2: too, about blended families. Oh, gosh. The title is, Don't Do It.
1: (laughs) David. (laughs) You do realize that we're in the business of helping people save their blend? And get into a healthy blend, not don't
2: do it. I didn't say don't get remarried. I just said don't do it. And you took it to mean don't get into a blended family.
1: David, I I don't have the energy today. Just think about every
2: time you open your mouth, you go, don't do it. (laughs) Every time you think about walking out the door, don't do it. Every time you think about saying something negative to your stepkids, don't do it. There you go. (laughs) It's the title of my book, and you took it the wrong way. (laughs) See
1: what I'm saying, folks?
2: Maybe it should be,
1: the title of the book should be, Don't Do It, and No, That's Not What I Mean.
2: Well, you know, the title of my second book that I've not yet written is, This Is What I Said, This Is What You Heard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's a good book, too. I've read that one, personally, even though you haven't written it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That uh, We might bundle that with my uh, oldest son's book that he's writing, The Thousand and One Things Not to Say to Your Wife,
1: (laughs) 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 all about the things he's learned from me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That book keeps growing and growing and growing. (laughs) In fact, I need to text him a few things to add to his book. I'm sure you do. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, David, let's talk about something people should do. They should join the Nacho Kids Academy. Absolutely. Tell them why, David. Because if you want to
2: stop struggling and stop, there you go, it's all the don'ts, right? (laughs) I mean, you want to better your blend, lower your stress. I mean, surely you didn't do like us and say, I want to struggle like crazy and almost get divorced. That's why I got married to this wonderful woman. (laughs) That's, That's not what you want to do. So join the Academy. We'll give you the tools, we'll show them how you use them, we'll help you better your blend, lower your stress, save your relationship. And entertain you all at the same time. Oh, yeah. That's just a, that's a given. Mm-hmm. So anyway, check it out, kidsacademy.com.
1: All right, David, let's get to listening with Summer. Let's do it. It's summertime. Today, we have stepmom Summer. Hey, Summer, how are you?
0: Hey, Lori, I'm good. How are you?
1: Good. So tell us how long you've been blending, how many step kids, bio kids, hours kids, all that good stuff.
0: Okay. Well, let's jump right on in. (laughs) Okay. Andy and I got married, I think we met in 2011, married in 2012. So we've been together about 11 years and he has two little boys. Well, they're not little anymore. They were (laughs) little at the time. So they were um, six and eight when we met and they are... 17 and tw- 19, I'm almost 20 now. Um, and they lived with Andy full time when I met them. So I really kind of stepped into a family of three.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we did live together maybe two years before Eli came, maybe three years. Eli's eight. Um, and that's our hours, baby. So that was it. You know, the transition in the beginning was you know, just from me being a single career woman, live in the single life. Um, and I kind of walked into this role as an, a stepmom and a wife, decided pretty shortly after I met Andy that my heart's desire was to leave my career and stay home with the boys. So I'd say within a year, I got married, left a long career that I had established and became a full-time stay-at-home stepmom. We moved. We did a lot of the big things right in the beginning, and then waited a couple of years before we had Eli. But that's kind of our our family dynamics and how that came to be.
1: I'm sure it was hard on you going from the single life, living by yourself, to moving in with someone that has two kids.
0: I mean, it, I think that when Andy and I met, we just kind of knew. Like, I feel like we knew... That God had put us together, and this is what was meant to be and i'm I've honestly met the kids pretty quickly after, and yeah, it was almost like we've operated on Godspeed this entire time, like I feel like you know when you jump into a blended family, you're really kind of jumping into things backwards, right, like you mm-hmm. know I think in nuclear families like you get married and then you buy the house, and then you have the kids, and things fall in a different order, and you have time to maybe settle into each change. But with the blended family, it almost works backwards. Like it's like, you know, there's already the kids. There's already a, an established home. There's already an established, you know, pattern of the way things work. And I'm not sure I necessarily knew what I was getting into. And that's not a bad thing, but it's it was definitely an adjustment. Let's just say that, you know, going from single to stepmom, living in the city, up in the, moving up to the burbs. While a lot of that was, I think I lost myself in the process right in the beginning. And maybe because I was trying to figure out my role as a stepmom and, and transitioning my identity from who I was into who now I was becoming. Um, and that part felt maybe a little tricky and where we started to veer off the path of good intentions there in the beginning.
1: A lot of times we lose ourselves just getting into a relationship with someone. Yeah. We stop hanging out with friends as much. We, for lack of a better phrase, are up that person's butt. Yeah. And then you come into the blend. And like you said, you're trying to figure out your role. You're trying to be supportive of your husband. You're trying to build a bond with the step kids. And it is so easy to lose yourself. And then the next thing you know You wonder why, and I'm not saying this was you, but you wonder why you don't feel like yourself and why you're not happy like you used to be. And it's because you quit doing those things you enjoyed. And I'm not saying that you should go back out drinking and partying or anything, but spend time with yourself. Do a hobby. It's so important for us not to get so caught up in this blended family stepmom role Where we do forget who we are.
0: Yeah. And a lot of that for me, I think, I mean, that's it's so true. And what ended up happening, and I can, I mean, we're 11 years in, so I can look back now with a clear set of eyes and more emotional maturity and more spiritual maturity. But looking back at the beginning of our journey, you know, some of that's natural and normal and you're enthralled with this new person you're dating. And, you know, for me, I instantly loved the children and that was an easy part of our blend. Mm -hmm. Don't hear me say that our blend has not, has been all easy because I'll get into some of that. But I think what happened is that I had unrealistic expectations of my husband to make me happy because he, and he had, you know, I mean, I was happy in the beginning and it was fun and And not to say that it's not now, but my expectations have changed. So I don't require him to make me happy. And what I've had to learn along these 11 years and really through the process of losing myself is that I just had to release the expectations I had of others. And that includes my husband, the stepkids, my child, people outside of our home, like releasing expectations of them being responsible for, first of all, defining me as a stepmom. Like, I think we do look to others to give us those job descriptions. Like, who do you want me to be? How can I be the best second wife, which is already an intimidating title? I think, you know, we walk into that feeling like we need to prove ourselves. And then how am I to be a good stepmom? But what I've learned along the way is that placing my expectations in others for, those, for the definition of who I am completely, completely ruined me and ruined, you know, a lot of the relationship building in the beginning. And what I've had to do is surrender that to God in the process and say, he is the only one that defines me. And it is in him, I find my joy and my strength and not anyone else because they're human. They're going to let me down. And, um, and I had to walk that out differently. I think as I progressed through the years and, Honestly, who
1: are we to have these expectations of other people? I know.
0: I don't know why we do that as humans. You know, I think for, at least I'll speak for myself. I came from a broken home. My parents divorced when I was 13 and both have remarried my mom twice and my dad, you know, multiple times. And I had this idea that when I walked into our blended family, I knew what to do because I'd been through it. And some of that, some of the experience was helpful. And I think I knew how not to be a step-parent and how to be a step-parent. Like The step-parent role for me was an easier one to slide into. Um, But what I didn't realize is that I just had a horrible foundation for marriage. And my idea of what marriage looked like because of my experience led me to have these unrealistic expectations of my husband. And so that's where our blended family mess kind of happened. It was in the marriage piece, not necessarily the parenting piece. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think when we show up to relationships broken and we have these expectations that our husbands or kids or stepkids are responsible for putting us back together. And it's just not, it's not possible. Um, And we have to release that and give that to God who's the only person The only one that can, you know, fix those broken places in our foundations.
1: I saw a Facebook post yesterday, actually. And the lady said something about the stepkids not acknowledging her birthday. Didn't tell her happy Mm. birthday. Didn't get her a present. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And her thing was, how would you feel? Yeah. Well, I create my own happiness. Mm. And y'all might think I'm crazy. I buy my own birthday cake if I want one. I buy my own presents (laughs) because, you know, David's like, I really wish you would just tell me what to get you. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, maybe this year I'll give you a list and you can pick. And the things you don't get me, I'll get myself. (laughs) There you go. But there's no expectations or disappointment around my birthday because I don't have any expectations.
0: None. Yeah. 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 Well, and to kind of speak into that, you know it's like our would my feelings would be hurt like if that happened to me, my feelings would be hurt, and feelings are valid, but they're not to be trusted and so you know what I've learned along the way is like a feeling isn't good or bad. It's just an indicator that something needs to change. And so if you have hurt feelings about a situation like your birthday and they don't acknowledge it, your responsibility in that is to communicate your needs in the future. And I've had to learn that the hard way. But like, if I do have an experience that causes feelings of Like feeling hurt, like maybe it's Mother's Day or your birthday or, you know, whatever, whatever day it is. And you know that your feelings get hurt around that if there's no acknowledgement. Well, your responsibility in that is to say to your husband or even the stepkids, like, hey, it would feel good if you said, happy birthday on my birthday. And that may, that may feel like a very weird conversation to have. But in my opinion, you can't be upset with somebody that doesn't meet an expectation if you haven't communicated that expectation to them. And so that's kind of our place in that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, you're absolutely, we would have hurt feelings like I would, if that didn't get acknowledged. But if I haven't communicated in a healthy way, like, Hey, my birthday's coming up. Would you like to celebrate with her? I would love to celebrate with you. Let's do X, Y, and Z. Are you available? While that seems weird, I think that's how we get in this trap of disappointment is that when we expect everybody to know what our expectations are and then they fail us and then we're mad at them and we have to take a look at our part in that. And that's awkward. You know, right. I mean, it's an awkward thing to have to do, but I think Communication in blended families has to be like 10 times more practiced, you know, just because there is so many dynamics to overcome.
1: Yeah. And you could tell your stepkids, I'd like it if you told me happy birthday, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it next year. Correct. Or you could do like a friend of mine. Her birthday's towards the end of August. She starts August the 1st. It's my birthday month. Y'all don't forget my birthday. I mean, (laughs) every day she reminds everybody that her birthday's coming up. But that still doesn't mean that the stepkids are going to say happy birthday. You can't make other people do what you want them to do.
0: Correct. Yep. Completely out of your control. And some people don't
1: put that same weight on holidays and birthdays. Right. Right. My dad, even, for my birthday, it was funny. He'll put it on Facebook, happy birthday. And I'm mm. thinking, can you not pick up the phone? <laughs> so last year, he called me. And I'm thinking, when I saw his name on my phone, I'm like, oh, my daddy's going to call and tell me happy birthday. And guess what? No. No. Mm. He mm-hmm. he talked about everything else. Never once did he say happy birthday. Oh, no. And I just laughed about it, though, because that's him. You, you know, that's yeah. who he is. And it's okay. And yeah. I talked to him later about it. And I said, yeah, I really thought you were going to tell me happy birthday. He said, well, then you should have told me. And I started laughing. I said, but that defeats the purpose.
0: Right, exactly. I'd seen another post, too, similar to what you're saying. And it was a mom who they have an hour son and the stepkids hadn't acknowledged the our son's birthday. And then yeah. I guess, I guess it was his, the dad's parents also hadn't like come to the party or acknowledged the birthday. And she was wrestling with that. And one of the things that instantly popped in my head is like, cause she had said, I just feel bad. My son is never going to get this. And one of the things that, Our therapist kind of helped Andy and I realize is like words like always and never will will set you up for failure. Yes. And I wanted to communicate that with that mom. It's like, okay, well, it didn't happen this year, but let's not use the word never because it could happen next year. And I think in the middle of the moment, we tend to assume this is how our life's gonna play out the rest of our years. And it's so unrealistic because there's so many different seasons in blended families and having Been in it, you know, eleven years. It's like I look back on the things like Laura Petherbridge says this a lot. Like choose the hill you want to die on, and I look back on a lot of the hills that I fought, you know, a battle on that just don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I want to, I think, communicate to others that are newer in it. You know, it's like, is this going to matter in five minutes? Is this going to matter in five days? Is this going to matter in five weeks? In five months? Five years? You know, and kind of base the energy you put on it, like, you know, okay, they forgot your birthday or whatever date, you know, this year, if you can communicate your needs for next year. And if they, and in in doing that, then you've done your part. So you can't, you know, be upset because you can't control what others do. But I think determining which hills you're willing to die on matters a lot. And if I look back over our 11 years, there's just so much that I worried about, or I let bother me that, really speak more about me and my insecurities other like outside of what they're doing or not doing exactly you know what I mean yeah just like with my dad
1: when I saw that phone ring and I got excited thinking he's gonna tell me happy birthday and he didn't I had the choice of let that bother me or don't absolutely and I hung up the phone and I just laughed my feelings were not hurt good for you I just laugh because I'm like typical John, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you yep. know, and it and it's okay. You have yeah. to let people be who they are. Yeah, and if you have a problem with who they are, that's your problem.
0: Exactly. Well, I think too. To you have to understand, like you're. I I tend to do this or think that like after Andy and I had Eli, I look at his behaviors like. Age-appropriate behaviors, you know, when he how he acted when he was four, how he acted when he when he's five, and I I think back to how I expected my stepchildren to act at his age, <laughs> and I was and I am like, oh my gosh, like they they're such good kids, honestly, and they're very respectful, and they're just really good boys, and obviously, yes, we've played a part in that, but I mean, they you know their parents played a part in that before I came along, but. I look back to what I expected them to do at the ages that Eli was, and it was so unrealistic as well. And I think as step parents, we can tend to do that, like have higher expectations of children. I mean, they're children, they're still, you know, 17 and 19. And yes, they're more mature, but their brains haven't fully developed yet. And to have these massive expectations of children you know, we have to check ourselves sometimes in that too. And that they may not, like you said, they it may not be a big deal to them. Well, it's probably not. And not that you're not a big deal to them. It's just that, and also are you dealing with a male or a female? Like we have all boys. So, you know, there's just some things that dates don't matter to them. You know, it's not that they, they don't care. It's just that they process differently. Boys and girls process very differently, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, That's another thing I think to be leer or like to be mindful of. Like, are you having unrealistic age expectations of your stepkids too? Like, I certainly did. Oh, me too,
1: girl. Me too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, whatever. I mean, that's just another place to look at your part in it, I guess. Well, we didn't talk
1: about how often you have your stepkids.
0: Yes. Okay. So they, the boys, we have full, I guess, is it, I don't know what it's called, residential or whatever. So they're with us full time. And then they see mom and stepdad every other weekend and Wednesday nights. So whatever that is considered, I'm not really even sure what the legal terms are, but their mom and stepdad live in our same town. So they, you know, see them regularly on the, for the visitation and stuff like that. But as far as like day to day, when I started staying home with them, you know, that kind of fell on my plate. And not fell on it. I chose to do that, so Mm -hmm. I don't want to make that sound derogatory or anything. But they're with us full time.
1: And you and I had talked in the past, Mm -hmm. and you told me that you didn't have a good relationship with your dad. Mm -hmm. And go into that. Yeah, (laughs) was that because of him
0: and your mom splitting up? Mm Hmm. Yeah. So, like I mentioned before, I came from. A broken home. My parents, there's, uh, there's, I'm the oldest of four. And when my parents divorced, you know, I think it was a long time coming, but a one time incident that, that caused the final like we're done. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty traumatic event. And then I was involved in the event and in the occurrence of the night that, you know, my parents finally split. But I walked through a lot of years of blaming my dad and blaming God, honestly, because I assumed the role of parent. I feel like in my family, like when my dad left, we all stayed with my mom. And a lot of my feelings, I guess, my anger, my resentments fell on the shoulders of my dad and, and God. And we would see him every other weekend, but I felt like my responsibility was to go to take care of my little brother and sisters. It wasn't necessarily to have a relationship with him and and I walked several years, really an an adult in a child's body, I think, until I got to my twenties, where I started to realize, you know, some of that trauma was showing up in ways that were not healthy, you know, wasn't a healthy lifestyle. And I had to get to this place where I understood forgiveness was what was kind of underlying in all of that. Mm-hmm. And we walked through and it's kind of similar along uh, the same lines that we were just talking about like i had to get to this place of forgiving my dad without having any expectations of a relationship or reconciliation or that he would admit to me he was sorry or this was the truth about what happened or anything like i had to let go of that and and i think when you walk through true forgiveness of somebody you realize that that is being done for your sake yes. and not theirs, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And I I had to release the chains of his bad decisions that were holding me back and realize they weren't for me to carry anymore. And forgiveness was the release of those chains. And so I I really, it took a lot of work and I, I wasn't walking close with God at this point. I was actually working in a drug and alcohol rehab with people that had Mental health issues as a co occurring disorder. And part of their process was walking through a 12 step program. And in order for me to best counsel them, I felt I should walk through the program as well. And so I got to step nine, which deals a lot with resentments and forgiveness. And I realized in that moment, like I wasn't actually walking through these steps for their benefit, I was walking through these steps for my benefit. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I needed to. The way that I did it is when I wrote a letter to my dad and I just kind of put all my feelings out there and everything that, you know, I felt like he had caused in my life and I mailed it to him. And the second the letter hit the mailbox, the chains were gone. And it wasn't, I, I got to this realization that it wasn't, the chains weren't going to stay until he wrote me back. You know, I didn't have control of that Right. and it didn't matter. And so the chains fell off when I made the decision to forgive and to say like, it's okay. Like if you're not in a place to confess, repent, and then turn away, that's between you and God. I need to let go of the moment that this felt like betrayal to me. And, and I walked through that. Maybe my late twenties, and that has really poured a foundation for me to help others walk through forgiveness. I think, and so we, you know, my dad and I have a relationship now, and we've reconciled. and And he actually was a person that came back and said, "Yes, this happened, and I'm so sorry it caused you harm," and he apologized. and And I realized that not everybody's going to get that, you know. And and my plea with you is to forgive, anyways. Like you mm-hmm. have to for your own sake, but. Right. You know, I think when I talk about stepping into my marriage with Andy, you know, there was just a lot of broken pieces that I hadn't put together along the way. I'm very independent. I'm very, you know, I would like to think I can take care of myself. And to me, being in a good godly marriage in the beginning looked a lot like submission. And that was scary to me. You know, I needed to trust another man to take care of me. And that's his responsibility in life, you know, too, as, as a godly husband. But that in the beginning of our marriage looked frightening to me. And I had a lot of insecurities about being a second wife and being a stepmom, and, you know, questioned a lot of like, what if he reconciled with his ex wife? I mean, they have two kids together, they were married for 10 years. Like, what if that happened? And I really went about the first few years of our marriage in this controlling state and out of insecurity, questioned a lot of his intentions and and for no reason except for my own insecurities. And so having walked through the forgiveness piece was just one step, but there's always this lifetime of healing, I think, that has to happen. And some of that doesn't happen until you're in your own marriage, Unfortunately for Andy, that happened a lot in our first few years, and we've been through therapy and and have to maintain conscious work in our marriage to, to be healthy. Right. And when we had talked before, you
1: mentioned that you had some jealousy issues. hmm Yeah. And that you required communication with the ex yeah. to go through you.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because, I think in that same conversation we talked about like your the Nacho Kids and like how amazing of uh, like that is such a great tool for people and I was like I just don't know that it's for me and you know we kind of laughed and 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 then it dawned on me like it was for me it's not Nacho Kids it's Nacho ex wife and and I can get into why that is it's like I in the beginning of our marriage just had these massive insecurities and it didn't have anything to do with Andy. I mean, as I look back now, you know, that was because of my past and my history and a lot of the things that I'd walked to prior to meeting him. But because of those insecurities and I justified my actions by saying, well, I'm the stay at home parent. So I need to have all the communication with the other home. And for a lot of years that actually, that actually worked for us. And the communication was just between, you know, Andy's ex-wife and I, and what ended up happening and what I realized through therapy and through some self-growth of my own is that that actually was rooted in control and not in the goodness of my heart. So, you know, God had kind of started to tug on my heart a little bit into our marriage. Like, what is, what are the intentions of your heart? Like, how can we purify what you're doing? Are you approaching this situation with your stepson's eager to serve? Or are you trying to lord over them and control what they're doing by this communication? And what ended up happening is my insecurity and need for the communication to come to me kind of created this triangle in our marriage where, you know, a healthy marriage, it's God, husband, wife. And for us, I had placed ex-wife into the triangle with Andy and I. And, you know, while that might not make sense, if you're not following that, the hierarchy like for Andy and I kind of just threw us off and it allowed me to take control in areas that I really shouldn't have been in control of and when I realized that with the help of our therapist you know I just had to take this massive step back and what that did was communicated to my husband like hey I trust you I trust you to have the communication I trust you to be a good parent I trust you to take care of these things on your own and it really communicated that you know inadvertently to the boys mom as well like hey, I trust you to have communication with their dad and to co parent and do that effectively without me being involved. And, you know, that wasn't, it was a hard transition because it was something we were comfortable doing. So transitioning out of that role always is hard at first, you know, I think for everybody involved because it's new and different and it's not how we were doing things. But what it did was set up Andy and I to have a healthy marriage and putting God first and then each other and leaving you know, everything else kind of outside of the fence, which is what we need to do. But getting to that place of like understanding, you know, my personal issues and how our blended family could identify those for me and within me so that God could refine them out of me, that takes some spiritual and emotional maturity to say like, look, I have my part Everybody has their own part in the problem, right? And we can only work on and focus on ourselves. And for me, I had to work on, you know, healing my broken wounds from the past, so I didn't bring my trust issues, insecurity, and jealousies into our marriage, which I had already. So I had to transition out of the dynamic that I had created to ease those. And it's it's exactly like what we were talking about before. Like, are those unrealistic expectations? You know, I kind of set up this scenario so that my control issues were they were actually being fed and not healed and so you know and there was no harm done I don't you know I don't want to miscommunicate on either end like it was just communication about the ins and outs and the games and the go you know coming and going when some of that communication could have been with Andy and his ex-wife not me so I had to just back on out of there
1: well and he let you do it because it was easier for him
0: it was easier for him and he is so loving and caring and wants to take care of me like he we had to kind of work through this too like he is a fixer and i i think gave the perception off that i needed to be fixed and in order to be fixed i needed to have the control and so in in his unconscious or subconscious state like he wanted me to be happy and he wanted me to feel like i was in control and he had nothing to hide so it wasn't out of malicious or like laziness. You know, I, he allowed me to have that because I think he wanted to make me feel comfortable in the new role that I was in. But what ended up happening, we had to learn in therapy. It was like, in order to reset that, we had to kind of come up with this code term, like, after I stepped out and then there was a situation that would happen that would kind of trigger my control. And I would want to look at his text or look at the emails or help him respond or like go psycho. Like, you (laughs) know, I think a lot of us do. Uh Um, I had to pull him aside and we had to like have this conversation. This is, I love this, but I would say, babe, I need you to feel this and not fix it because that was like a code word for him to just sit and listen. And then you know, not do anything about it. Or if there was a situation then that I was like, okay, I need you to fix this. This happened and I need you to fix this. Then he would know, okay, now I can offer my X, Y, and Z advice or like step in and handle it or whatever. So it was, um, I mean, of course it was easier for him, but I also took, I think, full responsibility for the home since I was the stay at home parent and he was working. And that's kind of what we were talking about before too, is like navigating those new dynamics are so tricky and you don't know what you don't know, or you don't know what's not going to work until you actually kind of walk through it, you know, which is why I think your model is so amazing for people that are like in the grunt of it and are like, okay, this is not working. Well, here's a solution. You know, we always need to be solution focused and what's your part in it. Mm -hmm. And I think you do so well of that, you know, it's like, this is your part in it and this is what can work if you, you know, apply it in a healthy loving manner.
1: Right. And it's so hard to look at ourselves and realize what we contribute yeah. to the blend that's not healthy. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we're bad people or that we're the ultimate problem. It means that we need to make some changes and that's okay. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I think we become the problem when we become stagnant in thinking that everybody else is the problem. Yes. It does I mean we are not growing in a healthy, spiritual loving emotional, you know, physical way. If you're in a moment and you're looking at everybody else's faults, I mean, you know, even the Bible says like, we got to take the speck out of our own eye first. And if we're not doing that, we're really not growing ourselves, which is just completely necessary to have a healthy long-term relationship, which is our goal, right? We want to stop the cycle of divorce and stop the cycle of brokenness. And we can't do that if we're always looking at everybody else as the problem.
1: Mm -hmm. And, When you realize that you are a part of the problem, again, Mm -hmm. this can be taken two ways. You can take it and say, okay, how can I change? How can I not be part of the problem? How can I help be a solution to the problems? Mm -hmm. Or you can, woe is me. I'm Mm -hmm. the problem. Everybody blames me. Well, that's not going to do you any good. And it's not healthy. And it's right. healthy to see how you do contribute to things. And the good news is you're in control of yourself. Absolutely. You can change those things. And every single day, we are presented with situations that we have a choice and how we are going to let it affect us.
0: Absolutely.
1: It can be as simple as you go to McDonald's and the lady at the drive through is rude to you. You can be rude back to her. Or you can just say, I hope your day gets better. Mm-hmm. You can be a strong presence in a positive way in the blend.
0: Yeah. And sometimes I think I had to learn this the hard way. And it's, I would love that your model teaches how to step away in a healthy manner. Because I think so often we tend to show up to every conversation we're invited to. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessary.
1: Shoot, girl, we show up to conversations we weren't invited to. <laughs>
0: Correct. Correct. And I think, you know, learning that that staying silent sometimes communicates strength. Mm-hmm. That takes some time to get to you because, you know, I think, like we said, especially in the beginning, you're just trying to figure out your place. You're trying to figure out your role. You've lost a little bit of yourself in the marriage or the you know, being the stepmom or the title of that or the work in that, which is, you know, I, I started to find my worth in the work. Mm-hmm. And what I had to realize is that, you know, that my work doesn't define me. God does. And he had given me the role of shepherding these children. And I really had to kind of shift my focus to that. It's like, so if I work for God and I know that, then what is my job description that he gives me? And there's a scripture that he has laid heavy on my heart and I've walked with it, you know, close to me for years, First Peter five, two through four. And it talks about like we are called to shepherd the flocks that he placed under our care. And we need to do that eager to serve, but where I had to have the shift because I I took that, but my heart was eager to serve the kids, not Christ. And so what that did was set me as a God really in their life. Like I wanted them to look to me. I wanted them to hold my hand and not his. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing that we can do, the, the greatest calling we have in these families as blended families, as step parents is to remove the stigma of brokenness not allow these children to believe we can come in and correct the problem, but allow these children to take our hands so we can place it in God's. Because in the long run, He is who ne- they need to be dependent on, you know? And that's that's true even for my own biological son. Like, I have had a shift in my parenting. Like, am I parenting intentionally not to, you know, have him you know, yes, yes, honor and respect your parents, but do that because we are to honor and respect God. And so I know that gets a little bit deep, but we have to shift our focus when it comes to these children and our families. And if we can understand that we're to shepherd them and not lord over them, which is where I got stuck, you know, in that control of the day to day. And mm-hmm. And you lose yourself in some of that. And rightfully so, we're humans, right? Like that's just our natural instinct is to want to be defined by the world. But the problem is the world's going to fail you and it goes away. Like we're not here to get our reward in the world. We're here to do the work so we get our reward when we meet our savior. And we have to communicate that in our families and then be models of that to everybody outside of our home as well. And sometimes stepping away and being silent is the best way to model that. You know, and that's that's a hard pill to swallow. It is a lot of the time.
1: Especially when when you're very outspoken, which I yeah. am. And yeah, same. I used to think that everybody needed to know what I was thinking. <laughs> right. And yeah. I was always <laughs> And the, that
0: it was right. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Right? That's me. Yeah.
1: And I was always the person that had the guts to say what everybody else was afraid to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. But once I realized the power and keeping my mouth shut, mm-hmm. we sit back and if we honestly thought to ourselves, what is my input going to add? Mm. Is it coming from a place of love? Is it coming from a place of control?
0: Mm.
1: Where is it coming from? And play the conversation and the scenario out in your head. Mm-hmm. And if it's not going to help the situation, don't say
0: anything. That's so true. I mean, it's like, it brings up two points. Like, is this going to help or hurt? And then outside of that, it's like, is it, am I trying to say something to be right or to do right? Mm-hmm. And there's such a difference in that, you know, it's like if I'm trying to be right and prove my X, Y, and Z, that's not necessarily always doing right, which, you know, some of that, yeah, it just takes a pause in the moment. You know, I use this term in the book, pause and pray and it takes, I really had to practice that, like in the moments of Andy and I fighting, like, I'm just going to pause in this, you know, because I, I can't handle the situation alone, first of all, and is what I'm about to say helpful or hurtful to the other person? Because you can't take it back. Like, those are the things that you have to really, you know, in those heat of the moments or in those conversations, like the things you say can't be taken back. And you're just, I mean, you're so right. Like sometimes the step away and the silence is more powerful for you, but then also watching other people's reactions. And um, I recently took a discipleship class that taught and talked about emotional maturity and watching in situations exactly what you're talking about. It's like once you can remove yourself from the situation, whether it's chaos or crisis or maybe just a conversation, you can start to see how others are responding and not to judge but to understand the emotional maturity and how people are differentiated from others like are you engaging because you're feeling the emotions of others are you able to separate from that you know you can start to view some of the the parties involved as who they are and it helps you show up and respond differently and so if, if anyone listening or I don't know Laura if you've heard of the emotional intelligence 2.0 it's an amazing book and mm-hmm. it has a quiz that you take before and then you read the book and then you take a quiz after and your emotional maturity actually improves. And it's just such a great self-assessment tool to have. And I found it to be invaluable when I was and still am in this blended family and having to have communication with others. And it's just that it's exactly what you're talking about. Like being able to be silent and take a step back allows us the opportunity to kind of witness How others are responding. And then we can make our best judgment on how to either respond or not respond based on that.
1: And if we take that moment to pause,
0: Mm -hmm. it helps
1: us not to react out of emotion.
0: Yes. So true.
1: And it's so easy to react out of emotion. And then the next thing you know, an hour later, everybody's upset, but you can't even remember what you were fighting about in the first place. I know. Oh my gosh. Yes. And like you said, Those words can't be taken back. I remember reading something one day about a broken vase or vase and (laughs) (laughs) how you can take those broken pieces and glue it back together and it will never be the same. Mm. And that's what our words can do to people. Mm -hmm. We have to be careful with what we say. Because you don't want five years from now, your husband to remember the time you said something about him that hurt him in his soul. Yeah. So true. You want to be supportive of them, even when you don't think that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And I'm referring to them parenting their kids mainly. Because what we think is right may not be right.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What's right for us may not be right for them. Yeah. And you had mentioned earlier about the need to feel like we're right. Sometimes it's more important to be happy. Mm. If you look back to where you were 11 years ago, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you've grown 50 years?
0: (laughs) Gosh, I mean, in so many ways. You know, initially, I wasn't walking with God the way I am now, and I think I had to surrender and become fully dependent on Him and follow Jesus's ways that's laid out in the Bible because if I did not do that, you know, we would be stuck in the strife and the chaos and and that is not who we were called to be in this marriage. You know, we were called to start to break the cycle of divorce and that pattern and behavior in our homes and for our kids, and that is not possible without him and him alone. And so, I mean, I look back 11 years ago and I don't even recognize the person I was when I showed up to our marriage. And and I'm so thankful for that. And I think that's why I can stand on the other side and say to people that are hurting or in the middle of the chaos or in the middle of those moments that feel like they'll never end, like I've been there. So I speak out of my experience, not my expertise. And I think, you know, that is so important for those stepmoms that are you know, feeling like I can't do this anymore. You know, there was a time that I felt that way too. And I had to fully surrender in that moment and say like, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? And I had to recognize our blended family as a refiner's fire and something that was a catalyst of change for me personally. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect. And I've shown up in ways that You know, are Christ like, believe me, I don't always, but I think my heart now has shifted to be eager to serve God through our blended family. And that has helped really me shift from this desire to be perfect and to figure it all out to really position my heart to be humble and, like, you know, let Him lead me so I can help lead them. And I've really, that's really helped. Like, I've really not seen myself as a step parent, but a shepherd because I think that's really who we're called to be. And yeah. So looking back, I mean, I think emotionally I am much more mature and that's not because of anything, but work that I've done. Like if we don't show up to work on ourselves, nothing changes. And so Mm -hmm. if nothing changes, nothing changes. Right. And I've had to show up and work on intently work on myself through therapy and studying the Bible and showing up to Bible studies and working on my emotional maturity and understanding like God wants me to have love, joy, and peace. And like, what am I missing in that? Well, there's times I don't necessarily feel like I've fully grasped the joy of my life. And so, you know, how can I do that? And I have to kind of look at where Satan keeps me trapped and then what I'm missing out in regards to the spiritual gifts because they're in me. I'm just not accessing them through the Holy Spirit. And so I know that sounds like a lot, but when you have hope of others that have been there, I think it just puts all of the little moments that don't necessarily mean this is the rest of your life. And I just communicated this with my stepsons. It's like, you know, one moment doesn't define the whole picture. It's just one moment and seasons come and seasons go. But this idea that like summer's going to come and summer's going to go, well, it do- it does come and go, but it comes back every year. And who are you going to show up and be the next time summer rolls around? You know, and I think that's important. It's like, yes, seasons come and go, but they always come back. And the only thing that changes in that is you. And if you choose not to change, then you're choosing the environment you're in. And if you're not happy with it, then you've got to take, like you said, take control of your part in it, which is is you.
1: Right. And I know a lot of times people will say, they get upset when I say that I was the major part of the problem. Yeah. And they'll say, well, David shouldn't say that either. And you shouldn't say that because I'm sure he had a hand in it. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what was different? What changed? I came in. Yeah. And it takes time to bond with these stepkids and it takes time to find your role. Absolutely, and sometimes you have to fight the societal pressure to be super stepmom. Absolutely, because the stepkids don't always need super stepmom; they need you to be right. dad's wife.
0: Right. Yep, and that's in perfect alignment. You know, it's God, marriage, children, others, and that's that sounds scary, and it's a lot of a lot of people take that wrong and don't understand. Like, well, the kids came first, and and there's instances where the safety of the children has to come first. So don't hear me say, like if mom and dad or you know, mom or stepdad or dad and stepmom or whatever are unhealthy and not functioning and the safety is involved, that's a different story. You know, then the children obviously do need to come first. But in a good, godly marriage, that hierarchy is something you have to chase after and be intentional. And and you're right, like that takes time. Like we don't just mm-hmm. walk into these situations and know what to do. You know, I mean, we walk into these situations and figure it out. But if we're staying stagnant and staying stuck. You know, that's not going to work. And you can't control David. I can't control Andy. You know, the only person I can control is myself. And, you know, that takes time to figure out, too. You know, you just get Mm -hmm. caught up in all of the emotions of it. But, you know,
1: Melanie Anthony had said something one time about, well, actually, it was that your marriage comes before your kids. Yeah. And I said, I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing is I think we all interpret that differently. Mm -hmm. Because if it boiled down to David saying either Jackson goes to live with his dad or we're splitting up, then Mm bye-bye, David. Mm -hmm. So in that instance, my kid comes first. Right. I have to take care of him. That is my job. That is my responsibility. Right. He can't take care of himself yet. Right. However— when it comes to issues in the home where David does it like, for instance, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something, Jackson bringing his friends over when we're not home. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's important that I consider what my spouse needs in our marriage, and he needs me to make my son not bring hoodlums to the house when he's gone. Right. Right. So in some senses, I agree, your marriage Mm -hmm. has to be strong. But in other situations, like I said, if it was choose between the two, I'm Mm going to pick my kid. And I love David dearly. Yeah. But my kid is my first priority.
0: Right. I totally agree and I understand your point in that. And I think my question then would be to consider... In those moments, what is your personal hierarchy? And I break this down in the book a little bit. It's like I can't control Andy's hierarchy, so it, is David going to God with that first, and then is he coming to you and saying, like, here's here's why I feel like Jackson should li- live with Dad, and here's you know, and then are you going to God first, and then your spouse, and then the child? And so it really breaks down to your own personal hierarchy as well. And it's like you know, what would David? In that situation, I know it's hypothetical, um, right? but, you know, what in that situation is, you know, Jackson doing that is causing David to react that way? And like, and then has he prayed about that? Is this truly, you know, so you have to have your own personal hierarchy straight to be able to discern, is this, you know, an issue where I do have to take it for my child first? Like, is this a safety issue? Is this, you know, going against what the custody is about, or, you know, like, mm-hmm. so that's, I think your personal responsibility in that, like, what is your personal relationship is your hierarchy, God, your husband, then yours, you know, then your children and then others. And in a situation like that broken down, that's where the question would be, you know, and you can't control, obviously David's hierarchy. I can't control Andy's, mm-hmm. but I can't be an and influence over it. And that is scriptural. It says, you know, for the unbelieving spouse, they are sanctified by the belief of the spouse, which means they are influenced. And so am I showing up in a relationship with God inside of our marriage so that I am influencing Andy to do the same? And not to say that I'm his Holy Spirit by no means. I like to think I am sometimes, but am I allowing God to speak through my actions into his spirit, which I know is there, and then we tackle that problem, you know, maybe we have to have a third party in to to help us counsel through that. Or, you know, maybe we just have to se- differentiate, like, what is the cause and concern? And then how we handle that looks a little bit different. So that's why I wanted to mention the safety part in it, like the custody, yeah. but there's so many, there's so many elements in a blended family that are, there's legal involvement. There's, you know, I mean, there's just so many different things that we, I don't think consider walking in that become factors in our lives and without God in the center you know, of our lives, then He's not in the center of our marriage. And I think that's what's most important in that statement.
1: And I could have came up with a better example with well, the yeah, marriage thing, okay. but that was just popped in my head.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's,
1: it, you know, the other scenario I can think of is say David and I, have plans to go to a concert or out to eat or something, and Jackson's dad says, I can't get him tonight.
0: Mm.
1: Well, David and I both have the understanding and have since the beginning that our plans will be canceled and we'll take care of Mm -hmm. our kid. Mm -hmm. But I think knowing that with each other, that does put our marriage first. Does that
0: make sense? At well, 100% because what you said is that you had communicated that before, right? So that you know what I mean. So that's the kicker is like, if that's a prior conversation, which it should be, right? And I think that's what we don't always do well is like, we don't know what, and sometimes this is an innocent thing, like, we don't know what we need to communicate about until it's time to communicate about it. Sometimes, because that's how step families work, but absolutely, that's putting your marriage first because you've had the prior conversation, you have an agreement. And in that moment, he comes first. And that's a, that is an agreement y'all came to together. So 100%, I agree. That's putting the marriage first because you guys have had the conversation and have the joint expectation that like, hey, if Jackson's dad can't get him, it's my responsibility. That's not saying your marriage isn't a priority. That's just saying this is your current responsibility and you guys can go to a different concert, you know, and you stay home and make a date of it at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely, I agree. Yeah.
1: Right. And it's, it's
0: hard to balance that. Oh, gosh. Absolutely.
1: It can be taken to extremes.
0: Well, I know what you mean. It's like if there's like, let's say, you know, hypothetically, there's an unsafe situation and the parent chooses the spouse, you know, and maybe that's the unsafe situation. Like that's not okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's not biblical either. And so we have to have that sense of discernment and that only comes if we're right and good with God, you know, and our hearts are clear and stuff like that. So that's where I'm saying. It's really more of a personal responsibility first. And if we have the discernment in a situation that's maybe not safe between the parents, you know, then we're not choose this unsafe parent, we're to, we're to help protect the child. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's hypotheticals all around it, but bottom line is, you know, in able to discern that we have to be having a personal walk in relationship with God or otherwise we can't hear his voice. And it really goes right back to what he says. Like sometimes we have to stay silent because that's where the answers lie. And that's true with God too. So sometimes we have to stay silent so that we can hear what's the next right thing to do. And, and then go there, you know, so it really kind of all comes back to your own personal responsibility and your own personal walk and what that's playing out to be. And then you can discern like, okay, yes, in this situation, I do have to put the the protection and safety of my children first, or, you know, like you said, in this situation, I'm going to have to set this date aside because it is my responsibility to take care of my child. Also, okay. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it just takes, you have to, I think in saying all of that, you know, what I think is challenging for I mean it's probably nuclear families too. It's like every moment you have to reassess. Like you, what ha- what worked last week may not be what's going to work this week. You know, we have to stay flexible and open and constantly working on our own growth to be able to see the situations for what they are, not necessarily what they were in the past. Right. And that's hard too,
1: you know. Yes, it is. Well, Summer, it has been great having you as a guest on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Tell people how they can find your book.
0: Okay. Um, so we have a website, www.summerbutler.com. And we have our book out called Blended Aligning the Hierarchy of Heart and Home. And there's also a new video series to help leaders lead through the book that comes together as a leader bundle. So we offer that too on the website. And you can buy it anywhere else, Amazon or any of the, anywhere else you find books. And that's kind of it. So we're, our handle on Facebook is Blended Book Company or Blended Book Co. And same on Instagram. And that's where to find us. We kind of just bounce around and love being a blended family resource. And that book has kind of been my personal experience, but also written as a workbook to do with small groups, moms and stepmoms, not necessarily just step. and it's a six week study with five days of work per week and kind of works out like a workbook. Mm-hmm. I don't okay. want to say Bible study, but personal self study. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you and I are going to get to meet. Yes. At the end of April in Fort Worth. And I'm so excited.
0: It's going to be awesome. And if anybody's local to that, to DFW or even fly in, I think it's just going to be, we have so many amazing speakers. Laura Petherbridge putting this on, so the Smart Step Mom mm-hmm. is kind of hosting the event in Fort Worth. I'm so excited. I mean, it's just, I'm so excited. It's going to be so good.
1: I know. We're going to have a blast.
0: Yeah, it's okay. going to be good. Yes. Well,
1: thank you again, and stay in touch, and let us know how things are going. I will. Thanks, Lori. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Being a second spouse is not easy, but really. I'm not second.
2: You're first, honey.
1: I'm the only spouse
2: hmm
1: What happened in the past is in the past.
2: Yep. I have a very, very um, bad memory. <laughs>
1: is that why re- you got married?
2: I don't remember nothing uh, before you, honey. Not a thing. Oh, that's so sweet. And I've tried to forget a lot after you as well.
1: <laughs> David. <laughs> you know, I was thinking the other day. I do have thoughts that are unpleasant at times, and or memories, I would say. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice to just pluck those memories out of my brain? First yeah. of all, it would get that negativity out. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it would maybe free up some space for me to remember what I ate today.
2: <laughs> I can tell you.
1: But then I started thinking, No, because I learned from those. Yes, I wish they didn't still pull at my heartstrings or my emotions sometimes when they pop up in my head. But I have. I learned from those. So I'm thankful for those.
2: Well, if you really think about it, if you can honestly look in the mirror and say, I like myself or I love myself, and I don't mean that in a um, narcissistic way, but if you can say those things— then it's because of everything you've been through. You are who you are because of the choices that you've made, mm-hmm. the things that's happened to you, the things that's happened because of you. <laughs> All those things are what have been thrown into a pot and simmered really well for years and years and years, and they come out to be Lori Sims. And I think it's quite delicious.
1: Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, I was focused on the years and years and years and years, (laughs) and then you said delicious, and I'm like, what? (laughs) Okay, we know you love me, David. I sure do. I know, and I love you. (laughs) And I'm thankful that we fought through our blended mess. Yeah, we did. We didn't just fight through it, but we
2: fought each other through it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We were fighting everybody through it.
2: I ain't kidding.
1: But I'm thankful that we had that because it did improve our relationship, I believe, a lot.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely did.
1: All right, folks. I'm feeling all sappy, so I got to go.
2: All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Be sure to catch us next week when I'm sure we'll have more sappy stuff to talk about. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) But until then, remember, life is good. When you nacho.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.